started in hard times to bring us all in into the laughter through thick and through thin for public i'm paul dockery a senior manager of energy resource strategy and planning for seattle city light and an energy industry practitioner I'm Dr. Omaz Nagesh, a Principal Resource Planning Analyst for Tacoma Power and an Energy Systems Researcher. I'm Dr. Kwame Byers. I'm an Environmental Fellow at the Harvard University Center for the Environment based at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. My research uses tools from operations research, electrical engineering, and economics to design decarbonized energy systems. And right now I'm focusing on resource adequacy under deep decarbonization, hosted by Professor William Hogan. My doctorate is from ETH Zurich in Switzerland, and I have a dual master's in electrical engineering and computer science and technology and policy from MIT. And I'm Farhad Bilmoria. Uh, I'm a director in the Electricity Markets Group of S&P Global and a doctoral candidate and a visiting research fellow at the University of uh, Oxford. Uh, prior to joining S&P Global, I served uh, in a number of roles in industry, uh, most notably as a principal in market design at the Australian Energy Market Operator, and have worked in international infrastructure and energy finance and capital markets. Friends of the Underground will remember Conley and Farhad from a season fine episode called Market Design Slinkies and Synchronous Condensers. I am overflowing with enthusiasm because Farhad and Conley have agreed to join for the whole season of Public Power Underground to help us work through uh, the, the understanding our energy system. So thank you. Welcome back. Welcome to season six. Uh, I'm very excited to have both of you. Me too. Yeah, right. Right. Almost. It was a great episode that they were on. I, I, I've said it before. I, I constantly send people to uh, to your description of markets in the final closing. Um, I thought it was very fair, Conley. Very oh, fair. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, when when we did this, we recorded like 4.30 a.m. because, Conley, you were in <laughs> Zurich at the time. Where right. are you joining us from this time? This time I am in Cambridge, Massachusetts, back in the U.S. Okay. Well, I am very excited. Farhad, last time you were in in Australia, I generally just think of Australia. Is there, like, what city are you from? Where <laughs> in this massive continent actually are you joining us from? So I'm in I'm in Melbourne. So uh, on the eastern seaboard, right and is down that, the bottom. Is that where the Australian Energy AMO is based out of Melbourne? It's it's one of the big offices. I think there's always a battle for which which <laughs> office is the head office. Okay. But, okay. Uh, Melbourne is is definitely um, one of the biggest. Uh, I, I believe it's the biggest office still um, from my uh, from my last memory of it. Okay. And you recently joined S&P Global, like very recently, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I, I joined them about, uh, gosh, it's been two months now. So, so far, so good. Good. Well, I'm excited to have you. Any other biographical information that you would want to share? I think uh, that should cover it, apart from uh, just enjoying the discussions and, and great to be back. So uh, it's, it's just nice to talk talk electricity markets uh, with, with really smart folks. I mean, I'm flattered yeah, I, that you, you classify me in there, but obviously <laughs> Conley and Amos really smart <laughs> folks, right? Anything you'd add, Conley? You were, as I recall, you you worked at E3 at least for a little bit. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I did. I did used to work at E3 out in San Francisco uh, for a little while before I actually went back to grad school. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, I guess another bit of biographical information, Farhad and I are working on a collaboration right now. So maybe we'll be able to share that later in the later in the season. Yes, that would be awesome. Uh, love the love the collaborations. I also saw when I was researching your bio, you're doing a, like a webinar in March uh, to talk about electric markets. What you want to yep. prom- promote it? Oh, sure. So this will be recorded, so it will be available. Um, it's the Harvard Energy Policy Seminar. Uh, so this will be looking at the new proposals that have come up for forward markets in the future, maybe making a mandatory forward market, what might replace a capacity market in regions that use those right now in a high renewable future. Um, So this kind of question, if anybody's heard of hybrid markets before, thinking about maybe there's a a long run market, that's the competition uh, for the market and a short run market, that's competition in the market. We'll kind of dive into what the different proposals for those things are, how they might interact. And this is like Frank Wolock's uh, fixed price for contract is one of the things you'll talk about. That'll be in there. Yep. Okay. And is Farhad's insurance overlay going to be part of it? Oh, maybe it should be. Yeah, I think that definitely fits in there somewhere. (laughs) We'll see how far I get with the modeling different things by the time that talk comes around. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. Okay, Almaz, anything else you want to ask him or contribute? Anything else on your bio? You're back from your sabbatical. I am. Um, and but the the sabbatical work is continuing on. So um, the so the energy research um, continues on. That's it. Research never ends. I find it does not. Once once you get into it, you you hooked. (laughs) Neither does the practice of electricity. Like we're we're still. We're still serving electrons every day. All just keeps going. And, we ready? And we want to do that. Yes. That's right. Every day. On Public Power Underground, we talk about the energy enthusiasm trifecta of electrification, markets, and people. This season, we're connecting expert insights with practitioner perspectives. To do that, I came up with a season-spanning game that starts with today's recording. I'm calling the game the Energy System Analogies World Cup, or ESSA World Cup, just like Seattle is the host city, uh, one of the host cities for the 2026 FIFA World Cup, Public Power Underground is hosting an Energy System Analogies World Cup in 2024. But first, we're bringing back a fan favorite segment to start out the episode with topical news stories in our TLDR segment we call Short to Ground. This is Short to Ground a segment where we blow a fuse for news. I'm Paul Dockery. And I'm Almaz Nagesh. And we're Am I really bad? Is my internet terrible? And we are shorting to ground. Oh, yeah. this is going to be keep, great. Keep I'm supposed to get it. fiber this summer. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna get fiber this summer. And this segment is going to be worse because it's going to be better coordinated. The, you're first. You're first. All right. The North American Electric Reliability Corporation, NERC, issued preliminary recommendations and findings on the bulk po- bulk potential bulk power system impacts of electric vehicle chargers on February 8th. Among the identified deficiencies of the energy industry is the observation that, as it currently stands, there is only a single generic electrical model to represent EV charging, and more work is needed to ensure that the electric system planners and operators have the quality of models needed. 
NERC makes the recommendation that, quote, vehicle manufacturers, the electric industry and policymakers must increase collaboration to close knowledge gaps and address reliability concerns and benefits. You can find coverage by Robert Walton in Utility Dive. Great. Uh, Moving on, a major grid event occurred in the Australian energy system on Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Powerful winds, severe thunderstorms, catastrophic fire danger, and mass power outages impacted the state of Victoria, Australia. In total, approximately 2,600 megawatts of generation was lost, and about 1,000 megawatts of load was shed following the disturbance. A component of the outage was the collapse of six 500 kV transmission towers as a result of the strong winds. You can find a link to Farhad's preliminary thoughts after the preliminary report in the show notes. The Energy Information Administration projects natural gas consumption to more than... Ripple in India by 2050, according to its 2023 International Energy Outlook. The growth is driven by India's industrial sector, in particular ammonia production intended to decrease fertilizer imports. For more, the topic was the subject of EIA's February 14th in brief analysis. Link in the show notes. Okay. ISO New England is recommending a new prompt slash seasonal capacity auction model rather than its current forward capacity market. The current practice, the forward capacity market, uses annual auctions to secure commitments from energy resources three years in advance. The proposed change would move auctions closer to delivery period and differentiate on seasons. It would also require further delay to the 2028-2029 forward capacity auction until 2028 instead of 2026. For more, you can see ISO New England's news release or coverage in Utility Dive. On February 7th, the California Independent System Operators Board of Governors approved requests by CAISO management to postpone new interconnection requests for resources connecting to the grid beyond 2024 due to a, quote, unprecedented and unsustainable number of requests. For more, find coverage by Jason Fordney and news data is clearing up and California Energy Markets newsletters. Yeah, so we're, we're going to I want to talk about that one a little bit more. That one just continues, continues to baffle me. Okay. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery Friday, February 16th was at $64 per megawatt hour with natural gas at $1.95 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $50.35 and a heat rate of $32.08. Heat rate of $32,800. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading this wrong. A heat rate of $32,800. Spot power in the Southwest was at. You're great, Paul. You're gonna cut that out, <laughs> and you can let no, that. No, I'm gonna leave it in. <laughs> yep. Spot power in the Southwest was at twenty four fifty uh, mega uh, twenty four dollars and fifty cents per megawatt hour. Southern California at twenty five dollars and ninety five cents, and Northern California at forty five ninety four. New England at thirty one sixty seven, and the Mid Atlantic at twenty six eighty six. The Midwest at $25.40. For Farhad, we're also covering the Australian energy national electricity market that covers a portion of Australia. 
along the eastern seaboard. These are clarities that uh, Farhad insisted we include. But wholesale spot prices across NEM average $48 per megawatt hour, a 48% reduction, a 48% reduction from the $93 per megawatt hour or Q4 last year. While all regions experienced significant price reductions, there was clear separation between the regions with prices in Queensland at $68 and $68 per megawatt hour, New South Wales at $66 per megawatt hour, double those in South Southern Australia at $33 per megawatt hour and Victoria at $26 per megawatt hour. All right. For gas, Henry Hub's spot price fell 46 cents from $1.97 per million British thermal units. Wednesday, February 7th to $1.51 per MMBTU on February 14th. The price of the 12-month strip averaging uh, March 2024 20, through February 2025 futures contracts declined 22.4 cents to $2.42 per MMBTU. Just for context, we haven't recorded short to ground for probably nine months or maybe <laughs> even a year. The last time we did this, uh, the Henry Hub was at like $7.80. I, 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 I just edited it, it so I cut out those numbers, but it's it it's uh, come down significantly. Yep. I, yep. Working natural gas and storage in the lower 48 states as of February 9, 2024, totaled 2,535 billion cubic feet, according to month-ending estimates based on EIA's weekly natural gas storage report released February 15th, which is 348 billion cubic feet more than the five-year average and 255 BCF more than last year at this time. And lastly, there's a new climate podcast from Heat Map News with Jesse Jenkins and Robinson Meyer called Shift Key. The podcast brands itself as the most interesting conversation about climate change and decarbonization that you'll hear each week. Hmm. We've got competition. I'm not self-conscious at all. Jesse is a friend say, of the underground. I don't feel you know, I don't feel intimidated at all. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. Competition is good, right? These are our markets, people. Uh, that's it for our TLDR segment. Thanks to Public Power Underground's production partners at News Data for letting us use their leads. If you want to know more, you can find complete stories in California energy markets and clearing up. Let's close out the segment, Almaz. That's, that's short, short to, ground. to ground. Okay, I'll start with you, uh, Farhad. What do you want to dig deeper into? I think for, for me, at least, hard not to go um, past the 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 event here in Victoria. Um, this was um, came a little bit out of the blue, though. Um, if if you kind of look back to um, some of AMO's um, analysis, um, uh, particularly around what they call general power system risk, this was actually one of the or this you know, broad category of risks, and and specifically the region is that is that is one of the key risks and was actually risk one that they had highlighted to analyze this year. Um, and so it just sort of, to me, puts into perspective uh, when we think of these extreme events, sometimes there's a bit of a, almost a, a sort of a temptation to put these in sort of the too hard basket and say, hey, look, these are so extreme and we can't think about it. But clearly this was anticipated. And, and I think it rather than the actual actuating event to me, it's more interesting or more um, relevant to understand the particularly impacts it has on the system and, and the interactions it can have, particularly with power system security and power quality as well. So to me, that's, you know, even though it was, and the, the sort of the timing was an unanticipated and, and hard to predict, 
to me, the fact that also AEMO has had identified this, obviously, probably maybe would have been better last year. But but again, it's 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 pretty hard to get those spot on point. But to me, the fact that they've identified this um, means that 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 this is an area that needs that constant engagement and analysis from from the perspective of operators and and policymakers and um, and really everyone in the system. Uh, we, we've got to we can't we can't pretend that these things don't happen. And neither can we always respond after the fact. There's there's a lot of preemptive work that can and, and is being done on it. That thousand megawatts that was shared was that voluntary load shed demand response, or was that that was load shedding as in outages? No. So what what happened, and it's it's important to be specific with that was it's what's called load being shaken off the system. So this is essentially when there's some sort of disturbance. It could be. You know, voltages um, or, or phase angles or, or a, a range of other attributes of the system, when they sort of start to deviate, it's almost like an automatic disconnection. Um, so more, the bulk of the load was was um, shaken off, um, to use AEMO's terminology. Okay. And then there was a smaller portion that happened a little bit later that was actually instructed by AEMO to be shared. So that that is sort of what more we tend to think of as, you know, the, the brownouts or... or um, um, involuntary load shedding, but what actually happened for the bulk of the load was actually an automatic response, which which is important when you think about this and, and discuss this in a policy context. So, so as I so I read your uh, LinkedIn article, uh, very good. But it, you make this distinction in there between shaken off and I. <laughs> we're gonna cut. We're gonna cut that. Did you, I gotta turn that off. I don't know what that was. Anyway, uh, you make the distinction in there between load shedding and the shaking off. And um, it, shake it off to me is like your your load is sensitive to frequency or voltage and had some protective disconnection. Is that what shaking off effectively means? It had some relayed protections that responded to voltage sag or um, frequency. Yeah. There, there are a range of obviously inbuilt protection and and control systems um, that that operate not just on a um, individual load basis, but but when we think about distribution level and, and transmission level um, feeders, and at, at each point there are protection systems and control systems. So shaken off, uh, and I think this is not something. I think this is. A relatively new term. There are a couple of papers that that reference this, um, at least in terms of the broader literature. There is obviously a background and an engineering discipline that that you know this is a, this is a well established um, concept. But the uh, the 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 interaction between the system parameters and and um, the load or, or generation control systems is kind of where this this most of this has happened. It's it's not something that's happened that Amos said. Oh well, we've we've lost generation. Hence, we need you to disconnect. This did happen later down the track, but the bulk of it actually happened um, almost um, instantaneously in response to the the conditions that were happening in the system. That's my reading anyway. It could all be shown shown. Uh, I think there's there's a further report that will come out. Um, I think in in the next stage that will will give more more light to that, but. The initial report. This is kind of what I I read from it. 
The the other thing I wanted to follow up on, it probably ends up in a future discussion, but you uh, reference a paper you wrote in 2022 with a couple co-authors on common pool resource paradigms. And I think that is something we should probably dive into more because I found it to be a fascinating categorization of different uh, like utilities. Um, anything you want to say there to like tease the concept out and why it's important in this concept, in this context? Yeah, I, th I think the um, this this area of system security. Um, even though you know we we love talking about things like resource adequacy and 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 other topics and transmission, this is also one of the I'd say one of the most important and should be prioritized area in terms of preparing the system for a new subsystem mix. Um, and, and this is work that we did with uh, Professor Perluti Mancarella and uh, Dr. Pudine at OIS, uh, where we actually looked at the different forms of power system services and tried to characterize them in from an economic perspective. And, and common pool resources are an interesting one. Um, and I guess the only teaser, maybe rather the pricey discussion, but you'll see that in some of my analogies down the track, you may you know start to point down um, why I've selected some of these, but uh, this, this I think, is is really important when we think about the future power system and and low carbon power systems. This is a really important aspect of not just the engineering but the policy and the economics too. So you know when when I I, I great I, foreshadowing. I think, I think <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to dive into this deeper at another time when this is actually the focus because this is how I also think of the power system. Um, and the economics don't uh, align with with this sort of reality um, right now. Um, and and I feel like my my opinion on on that misalignment is that a lot of the um, economic injustices that we see in the the power system are a direct result of us not having our economics aligned with this type of uh, thinking. So conversation for another day that I just can't wait for um, Farhad. We'll see if our analogies could address this complicated topic. Ooh. Any uh, any other stories in there, Conley, you wanted to dig a little deeper into? Sure. So I was struck by two stories that I think are maybe more related than people might first realize. One is this ISO New England story about changes to its capacity market to be closer to real-time delivery. The other is California, CAISO, and dealing with all of these interconnection requests. So a point I would like to throw out there is that ultimately we're talking about this question of how do we make sure the risk is allocated in the best way possible when new resources want to come onto the grid. And a lot of the times when we have a capacity market, like centralized one, like in, like in ISO New England or in PJM, when these ISOs are thinking about who is able to connect to the grid. They're usually following an invested connect approach versus a connect and manage approach. So in a forward capacity market, often behind the scenes, what's going on here is that we're determining via engineering judgments and heuristics what we think is deliverable what we think is deliverable capacity between these different zones. So you're doing some power flow analysis, you're making estimates. And it's really hard to do this because every time you add a new resource, 
it changes everything in the grid potentially because of the nature of power flow. The actual electrical engineering of it doesn't necessarily align with the economic contracting part of things. And even in California, where you don't have a centralized capacity market, but you have bilateral requirements on load serving entities, I think you have a similar issue. And you could contrast this with a system where you have a connect and manage approach where you say, okay, we've tried to provide the right price signals so that resources who want to connect to the grid can, and they're taking some risk there about their deliverability and how profitable they can be. And, you know, it's it's certainly complicated, right? Because building new transmission lines, building new load or new generators at other um, points in the network can change what they thought their profitability was going to be. Um, but perhaps it is best to put that risk more on the developer rather than the central ISO to have to keep re-updating these studies to reflect what they think uh, is actual deliverable power at the end of the day. Fascinating connections. Amaz, when we talked about this one, you wanted to go a little bit further into the Kaiso uh, interconnection story. Where did you want to go? Uh, so I, I think Conley covered it. Um, I, I'm always interested in understanding uh, the the why behind it, but that um, that comparison between the connect and manage versus the the connect. Oh, I'm sorry, was it the build and connect or the build and manage that you said? Invest uh, and connect. I think is the connect. is yeah. the more uh, the term people have coalesced around. So I was also trying to not reinvent a term there where okay. <laughs> where yeah. it already exists. I, I think that answers. Yeah. That gets to the question that I was that I was wondering. Right. So I think it gets at this interesting question of what happens when we drift further and further away from the product that we ultimately want to supply, right, which is energy at a certain time. And when we move away from that, I think we want to have a good reason for it and have to realize that it might have some perverse incentives the further away we get from that. You could almost hear Bill Hogan saying, I, I could, that's, it feels, that feels so, that's so right. Um, okay. We do agree about some things, you know, not, not entirely everything, but there, but there are certainly some points of agreement. That's good. That's terribly healthy. Um, uh, the one story I wanted to just address a little bit is new podcasts. There's a lot of climate podcasts. And as I was like thinking about what to do with public power underground, I coalesced around this idea that there's a bunch of great experts and researchers and academics and Jesse's brilliant and uh, it's going to be a great podcast. Our niche, our niche, and if you're interested in this niche, this is our the podcast for you, is trying to bridge the gap between a practitioner's doing the work of the system and electric service and brilliant researchers like Conley Farhad and Almaz. And this season, our goal is really to focus on that, on get perspectives from practitioners, try to interpret them within the context of uh, like the state of the art research in the system. And that's our like niche. If that's your niche, go give us a five-star review because I did check before this. Okay. The shift key has 27 five-star reviews on Apple podcast, public power underground still ahead of them with 35. So if you're a listener, <laughs> go give us more five-star reviews. Just help my ego just a little bit. That practitioner perspective still valuable in the world. Still something that is helpful. Okay. That's it uh, for that's it for short to ground. When we come back after a quick break from our sponsors, we will go over our rule game rules for the ESSA World Cup. Public Power Underground is sponsored by the Energy Authority. 
The energy transition is upon us, and if there's one company who has public powers back, it's the Energy Authority. TEA isn't just any sponsor of the show. They're the backbone of what we stand for, keeping the power in the hands of the people. With offices in Bellevue, Washington and Jacksonville, Florida, TEA has coast-to-coast expertise in energy trading, RTO management, portfolio management, advanced analytics, renewable energy, and much more. As the energy industry evolves, so does TEA, staying on the cutting edge of technology to help their 75-plus public power clients maximize the value of their assets. When you partner with TEA, you're not just keeping up, you're leading the charge. Learn more at teainc.org. That's T-E-A-I-N-C.org for more. Welcome back to the initial stage of the 2024 Energy System Analogies World Cup. Similar to the tournament style of the FIFA World Cup, our ESSA World Cup. Do we like that name? I just made it up. ESSA World Cup. Does that feel good? I, I mean, I don't know anything better. Let's go with it. Let's run okay. it. Our ESSA World Cup will start with a qualification phase, which will take place over the next 14 regular episodes. The top eight analogies will then compete in the ESSA World Cup Finals Tournament in the 16th and final episode of Season 6, where the ESSA World Cup Grand Analogy of the Energy System will be awarded. During the qualification phase, we're going to interview energy industry practitioners about their area of enthusiasm, about what perspective they want energy system researchers and policies to know about their specialty. We'll also ask the practitioners to rank our analogies for the energy system as the basis for awarding points during the qualification phase. Is there anybody here who actually watches football, world football? Oh, yeah. Farhad. Okay. Do I, am I doing this all right? I'm yeah. not. <laughs> Farhad watches American football. We're not talking Australian rules football Uh-oh. here. I, I watch no, we're talking. Yeah. I don't want to refer to it as uh, like soccer because that feels wrong no. when oh, you're talking about the World so. Cup. So I am actually talking about it's football, global yeah. football. It's football. You know, it's okay. soccer and you in Australia it, though, right? <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we have the nomenclature Aussie rules footy, right? Um, okay. I broke a finger for, playing for, that for Australian It's a good football. sport. But it is a good sport. It's uh, it's a fantastic sport. But um, yeah, I, I, I can't get away from just saying football. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Or, or association football, if you if you want to be. So is association football like soccer? From. Association is, football yes, is soccer. That's where that the association soccer football is. Association. Is, yeah. a, is like the derivative of that. Yeah. That's where it comes association from. football. Okay. This is, we've connected. solved something. It's all connected. Okay. Uh, so we're going to ask these industry practitioners to score our analogies as part of the qualification phase. And then we're also going to ask them for their own analogies if they want to compete in our ESSA World Cup finals. Which means, unlike FIFO's World Cup, our field of teams will be able to expand throughout the season because hosts, we're going to be able to do it too, and guests will be able to submit new analogies until the championship tournament. Ooh, okay. So... Lastly, we're going to have the ESSA World Cup Championship Tournament, and it's going to take place in the season finale. It'll be a single elimination bracket tournament with seeding determined by scoring from the qualification phase. So you got to get in the top eight to get in the championship by scoring. And then it's going to be the top scoring is going to get the top seed and it'll get a place against the bottom seeded analogy. Okay, that's how we're going to structure it. But here is where 
listeners of Public Power Underground, we need you to help because we want, I want, we want to recruit an energy industry luminary to help judge our analogies in the season finale. So we need someone who is irreproachable, who is unbiased, <laughs> who is a leader in the industry that can judge and be a reliable judge for our SO World Cup championship. So if you know someone or has a connection to someone who would qualify for that type of luminary, please let me know because this is going to be great. It's going to have real world consequences for the, the indis- undisputed best analogy for the energy system. And, and if there's like a draw, do we have like a penalty shootout or something or extra time? How, how does... I, that's why we need a really a, a unbiased luminary that is a, irreproachable because they're going to have to decide what, how the, the rules are for tie breaking. It's all, it's all going to be in their hands. That's okay? a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. <laughs> okay, so think happen. of it. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. That's the game plan. Any questions or clarifications on our rules for the season? Rank choice voting. Rank choice voting uh, is how we're going to rank the uh, have have the the guests rank. Unlike FIFA. Unlike unlike FIFA. Not something we want to emulate, I don't think. Okay, are we ready? Are we ready for analogies? I brought two. I actually brought like three or four, but I'm going to we're going to I'm going to use two. Uh, Everybody else bring two. I did. Yeah, I brought an easy one and I brought a slightly more complex one. Remind me again how much time we have for for these analogies. We really only have like 30 more minutes. So we're going to have to let's start with the easy ones, everybody. And then the second one will be the more complicated. Okay, start with your (laughs) easy one first, Thomas. Okay. well, I'm actually going to start with the hard one, but I'm just going to make it super easy. How about that? (laughs) Go for it. So for my first analogy, actually for yeah, for the first one, I'm going with a, a nature-inspired analogy. So much like we have artificial intelligence or algorithms that are inspired by nature, so like neural networks inspired by the brain or particle swarm optimization that's inspired by bees and birds and ants or whatnot. Um, I'm gonna mine is gonna be inspired by the human body. So I see the grid as this intelligently controlled complex and dynamic system uh, the same way the human body is a very intelligently controlled complex and dynamic uh, system or a, a living even a system of systems you can say so um very briefly the brain I sort of think of as being like the the control center like uh, of the grid um, and your nerves representing the um like the, the communication uh, that has to go across all of the different um pieces of the grid. Um, and then when I, I'm still trying to figure out generation, um, but, uh, the loads are definitely all the cells in our body. And so we can think of, uh, we tend to actually call mitochondria, the power, uh, uh, plants of our cells. Uh, so you can kind of think of them as like distributed energy resources because they're like, it's spread out, uh, um, mm. um, like in, in the individual cells, which, Uh, in my analogy, represent all the loads, the very different types of loads in the body. Uh, The fuel for that for that cell can range from, um, well, in life, we have carbs, fat and proteins, right, that 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 serve as fuel. And in this analogy, um, we have um, renewables, we have intermittent renewables, we have hydropower, which I'm giving it its own 
class of its own because, you know, Northwest, why not? Because we're in the Northwest, absolutely. <laughs> That's the right answer. And then fossil fuels. Um, and then, of course, we can sort of think, think of blood and oxygen as electricity. That's the life force of, of the system. Um, we can think of hormones and the immune system as like those regulatory and policy controls um, in the grid. And lastly, sickness and pain is is, is your your body's way of telling you something is wrong. So that's like an outage in in the grid. So that's my <laughs> analogy of uh, you know how the the grid is very much like the human body, this complex dynamic uh, system. Of systems. Complex, dynamic system yeah. of systems. I love it. Farhad, Conley, any questions, clarification? No, I, I, I like it. I think um, one of the things that jumped out as I was talking about like power system security, right? There's the, it's, it's almost like we've got these involuntary actions, which is almost like these automatic control systems that, that happen, you know, your, the subconscious reactions that we all have, or, or even just the normal body's sort of automatic response to to sickness and so like obviously pain response is like the inertia of the grid it's like this automatic feedback that's true there's a nociceptor that gets activated goes straight to the nervous system before it gets to your brain i think that's a good analogy for prime pain frequency response you touch yeah. something hot and your hand immediately comes back right without even having to think about it it's an automatic response mm-hmm. I also like hormones as the uh, regulatory mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Farhad, you're next. Unless uh, you're next, what's your first analogy? Okay, so I, I kind of followed a similar approach uh, to our Mars there, um, with selecting the first one as a physical system. So I kind of went with the the water catchment or water body type of analogy where you've got some sort of pool of water um, that's shared across multiple resources, both in terms of people wanting to consume that water, but also people wanting to discharge into that water, right? So if you think of industries that might want to, or even good old thermal power stations that might want to get get rid of their um, either effluent or or just, just wastewater, uh, it all goes into this this big shared pool of of um, um, of resource that that we all then use, and and it's it's a closed system. And and why why I sort of jumped to this one was obviously the 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 consumption and um, uh, injection of water into the the system is really important as is the quality of water. So the quality of water is kind of where I look at it as being power system security, where if, if the water is not of a particular or sufficient quality, we can't actually use it for anything or we can't use it for particular uses. Um, and then pollution is kind of, again, the impact of different forms of disturbance or, or different risks that impact the system, which can be either localized, you know, is something that, that just affects a local water body, or it could be, System-wide affects affects everybody using the system. So that's kind of um, uh, why I went with the sort of the physical, and you know, you kind of kind of see that link with um, the pool or the common pool of, if you like. Um, that's really what jumped out at me with this one was that ability to you know 
to, to for, for a common usage base to use that water. But of course, then there's also supply and you know consumption and injection of that, which which can be quite um, uh, variable, and you can almost consider that as private use. But the whole regulation of of who can use that, how they can use it, in many ways, I thought as being kind of akin to the way that um, we regulate use in the in the power system, where we we really control who can dispatch, when they can dispatch, when you can inject, etc. I think so, that's a, a great a great metaphor, and also you know pandering to the hydro people up in the northwest using a water metaphor. <laughs> Good strategy. <laughs> this man wants to win. It's uh, a great strategy. <laughs> I know the market. I will. Yes, you do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, I, I really the the focus on the security of the system, the quality of the water. I think is is an area. I love your enthusiasm for it because I think it's really important. Is and can you help me out? Like part of power quality is around like loads with bad power factors in some ways degrade the quality of the whole bulk system if they're big enough and if they're bad enough on like bad power factors. Can, can you help me out? Like tease that out in the water analogy. Is it like, cause that like the loads using a bunch of water. It's just the way they're using it is uh, dirtying the rest of the system. Does that make sense? Is that a real? Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of where I got into it. And, and you kind of think of, um, you know, big industries, um, discharging you know discharging water used or or um or recycling you know recycling water but the way in which um you use that it could be different forms of pollution it could be therm, you know simple as thermal pollution thermal solution yep yeah um and and so the impacts of that and and the way it disperses across the power across the the water body is really I think quite interesting because there are forms of pollution, um, and if you think of certain types of effluent, they kind of coagulate around certain areas, right? Like if you have a large water body or a large catchment area, that pollution will be quite local, and that's kind of akin to certain power system conditions, which are also quite local. Like for example, system strength is something, um, or, or voltage um, that can be quite a localized issue. Uh, for certain parts of the grid, whereas some parts of the grid are very strong, they may have a lot of um, strength or a lot of system support, whereas other parts are more um, more challenged because of the either the the, the lack of um, strength in a system or lack of synchronous support. Um, but other things like frequency, for example, can be it's it's a it's a common parameter across the system. So something that impacts frequency tends to impact everybody um, in a similar way. Although again, that that there's all sorts of nuances in there as we get into things like the relationship between frequency and phase angle um, is there's, there is, there are different, there can be different frequencies in the system and the rate at which that disperses across the system in response to different disturbances or different impacts that that has a lot of analogies with the water system as well, because again, you could get something which ultimately could impact across the system but initially maybe localized. So there's a lot of uh, granularity that if we if we talk to the ex, the expert on power system security, that might be quite a, uh, maybe they might, you know, like this type of analogy. I'm not, I'm not trying to bias them in any way, but they, uh, <laughs> they might, they might be react to this one. 
Yeah, I love it. In the Northwest, we have the risk of these like microorganisms, these like mollusks and shellfish <laughs> that once they get into a part of the system, it's just everywhere. Like it's it, and so is that in some ways like the grid frequency uh, impacting the whole network? Uh, once once this type of organism gets into your watershed, it's basically pervasive um, and a problem for everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, I I'd have I'd. You might have to explain to me how they work because uh, they seem to be pretty fast, fast-moving mollusks uh, to impact everybody across I don't, the system. I don't know that they're fast mollusks, <laughs> just the, or if they're just uh, small enough and um, they just get everywhere. They just end up getting it. Yeah, like it's, yeah. if you get, if yeah. they get in somewhere, it's not instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Unlike frequency, it's not an instantaneous impact yeah. everywhere. Yeah, but it is. Yeah. Um, it, it is. You can't spatially contain them once they're in the sure, system. Sure. Is my yeah. understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I that's think a, that's the grid is helping my analogy, Paul. You, this is just working. I, I am a, is I am a, setting you up. I don't know. Paul. No, I'm not setting you up know. at all. I am a I'm a collaborative person. <laughs> Anyone on here winning is a win for me and my emotions. <laughs> if we get people that are like, yes, that is an awesome analogy. That's a win for me. That's right, how I Paul. view the world. That's yeah. my. That's what I try to teach my kids. Um. I forget where we were going. Conley, what's your analogy? <laughs> okay, so my first analogy is the electricity sector is like backcountry skiing. First, you have to be aware of externalities. So if you make a wrong move at the top of the mountain, you could cause an avalanche down below. And in a very similar way, the electricity sector has environmental externalities like carbon. It has reliability externalities, which is one of the reasons why we're often not as hedged as we should be. And it also has externalities due to the network. So just the nature of power flow following following the laws of physics, right? The second way in which the electricity sector is like backcountry skiing is that hedging is a good idea. So, for instance, you might be able to buy a lift ticket months in advance before you know what the snow conditions for the season will be like. But if you wait, that might be an unaffordably high price. And the third reason is that reliability and hedging are separate but related problems. So, for instance, we have to ask Often in the electricity sector, when we talk about different mechanisms, we're thinking of adding to the system. Are we trying to solve for avalanches here or are we trying to solve for the cost of the ski vacation? In the same way, in the electricity sector, we often need to ask, are we trying to solve for a reliability issue here for outages or are we trying to keep costs for consumers low? And those things often get conflated, right? Where you might have a capacity market where you want to have a price cap for consumers, or you might have uh, a situation like in the energy crisis in Europe, where prices got really high, but it wasn't always a reliability problem. It was more that consumers were not hedged sufficiently. Additionally, too many people on the mountain in bad conditions could cause an avalanche. An avalanche could scare people away from skiing. And this is similar to how scarcity conditions that happen on a system can feed back into future contract prices. Mine is a bit more utilitarian. I had a couple points to make. <laughs> Y'all's are very expansive. I, I, I really like that you've weaved in the the financial aspect and hedging. That's uh, that's really good. Can you with with I've actually never been backcountry skiing or or much skiing for that matter. Uh, can you actually secure the price of the ticket as well? 
Right. So it's possible that my analogy might have a little bit of holes in it because I'm also not a backcountry skier. Uh, I did spend five years in Switzerland, but I am a, a, a proud snowshoer. Nope. which uh, okay. you walk up your own mountain for the most part. <laughs> now, I think often backcountry skiers walk up their own mountain too. But in my mind here, this is backcountry skiing where you were able to take a lift up to the top. Say there's a, you know, a pist nearby that's controlled and everything where you're unlikely to cause an avalanche. But for the purposes of this analogy, I like the idea that you had to take a lift up. So you needed that ticket still, still for that ski resort. But you're going to go down, do a backcountry uh, slope. So you still have to be more aware of the externalities you might cause others. And my hope so, is that some skiers can confirm this is a scenario that actually happens. Nicole Hughes, friend of the underground avid skier, she can uh, hopefully inform us whether this is a reasonable one. It is my understanding that you can like hedge your, your price risk for the ski lift by buying it in the summer. And mm -hmm. I actually love that relationship because it's, you are at weather risk, right? For backcountry skiing. If you don't have yeah. snow machines, um, you, you have the weather risk of you bought the ticket, but are you going to have snow? It's worse in climate change is you have less, you know, higher risk that there won't be snow. And I mm -hmm. assume like the, and there's like hedging on all fronts, like you're hedging the price by getting your ski ticket and the ski resort is hedging its exposure to climate change by having more snow machines. I love it. It's mm, great. Good way of expanding the metaphor. Appreciate uh, that. Gotta yeah. make it expansive. Make it. <laughs> Humira Falkenberg, also friend of the underground, also avid skier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she will also be able to validate that you can hedge your, hedge all your risks. Uh, and I hadn't thought of the causing avalanches backcountry skiing. That's and a huge way, externality. The, That's avalanche, a <laughs> the avalanche represents like an outage. <laughs> Yeah, it could like, also be certainly one of the externalities in the power system is a reliability externality, right? So okay. if we're all equally as likely to experience an outage, whether or not we're hedged, that is a situation that would lead to participants being under hedged. Okay. But it's much more broad than that. It's any of those externalities. Sure. Yep. Got yeah. It. That's like a cascading failure across the network. Mm -hmm. uh, that's yeah, avalanche oh, yeah. is a big one. <laughs> Okay. Are we ready for my first one? I think I'm next, next right? Yes. Okay. Yep. So my first one um, is it relates, it's, it relates, it's analogizes the electric system to just a big mechanical system. So it's a little bit simpler. That's pretty basic. But within the analogy, I think electric utilities are to the grid what a PID controller is to a mechanical system. So if you think of your electric system, the process is reliable electric service and you think of your actuator controlling the system is infrastructure investment so that's my analogy space right i'm thinking of it at the macro level then the proportional integral and derivative controls are like restructured electric markets are analogous to proportional control your policy of like your regulatory regulatory policy and governmental policy is analogous to the integral control signals and your planning models are analogous to your derivative controls that help ease your transition as you're providing reliable electric service as the system is changing. In my analogy, the feedback loop of your PID controller are spot prices of electricity. That's how you get the signal of whether you're controlling your like transition to a new uh, 
you know, a new state in a reasonable way is if you have reasonable and uh, coherent spot prices of electricity. And it's an indicator that if prices are wild, you have overshoot and undershoot in your system. And that will cause backlash in your mechanical system. You're going to get uh, returns to sender on your mechanical device because it is not performing well. And that is a clear indication that your parameters need to be tuned. And in my analogy, our whole system is changing. Like our robot is fundamentally getting a new limb and a new leg or something. <laughs> and we need to actually retune our PID controller for the new system. So we need to rethink our restructured electric markets. We need to rethink our policies. We need to rethink our planning models because we need to retune how we plan for and how we control and provide reliable electric service because we don't have the same physical like we don't have the same battery we don't have the same you know we have the same hydraulic system um and the the old like inertia of our old mechanical system no longer the case it's completely different its complexity is different in a different way and you need to retune the old controller Got to retune our electric utilities. That's my first analogy. Remind me again, what was the proportional? I think uh, restructure yeah, electric, how, like your electric market. How, how did you make those choices? Which was PID and so I I went uh, I I kind of went through my old books on proportional integral and derivative control and thought about like what causes overshoot, what causes mm -hmm. undershoot, and I I think. Your restructured electric markets are, it's a really good proportional control. Like it does give you a really clear signal of investment. But the problem is if you only have restructured electric markets, you're going to end up with systems where you get a lot of the, the near term signal to invest in something. And mm. if you if you you're very prone to overshooting, like putting way too much wind in West Texas yep. Yep. in the mid 2000s um, and you get negative prices. Right. And that to me is overshoot where you have the negative prices and then your signal is put in a bunch of batteries. And you could if you don't have good policy and if you don't have good planning models, um, you're going to end up with just overshoot and undershoot on you get kind of price cannibalization and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that makes sense because, sorry, I was just saying that really makes sense because it's like that it's really hard to get the the investment right. It's 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 almost either folks invest too much and prices collapse and then, you know, no one invests and then price just you know, creates scarcity or scarcity events. Yeah. Thank you for validating my analogy. <laughs> so on integral control, I really think it is about policy. I think it's about, you know, you you have some view of how you want the system to change or how it's changing. And so you're trying to wait the die to get there. Um, but if you aren't careful, you're gonna have overshoot in the same way. And you, you may have really sustained overshoot if you have too much policy controls. Uh, for instance, like a production tax credit on wind and solar, what that does is it in, in, in gives an incentive for wind and solar, but you have to be careful because you'll just, similar to why we have like negative prices, right? You end up with just uh, price cannibalization and really incentives to for price cannibalization because you'll continue to get that incentive uh, for longer. And I, I really think the policy is you're trying to move the system and control where the system goes to and like dampen your proportional response, which is just the market signal. Uh, but you have to be careful that you don't over 
uh, over-indexed to that integral response because you'll end up with just persistent um, uh, off offsets. And then the derivative control, right, is really meant to smooth you as a signal changes, your input changes, it's meant to smooth how you get there and to do it in the best and most rational way and not be weighted like to a lot of um, fast response. And that to me is the planning model. It's meant to like see where you're trying to go and compare how the market is telling you with where you think you need to go, like how fast you're going just on a proportional response to just to actually get to your target. And that's the derivative response. And that to me is like a planning model. You got to make sure you have a really well-tuned planning model that knows where you're trying to get to. And if you have a good planning model that is that understands your system constraints, um, you should be able to get there and like hit your mark with the minimum overshoot, minimum undershoot, and without any offset. And that's the goal. Reliable electric service. Hit the mark. The one that made the most sense to me was policy. Uh being the the integral uh the one yeah honestly paul i'm sorry that was that was that was good i know <laughs> it all made sense i worked to hard you. on it i worked yeah. hard on it Con conley you, you were trying to say something do you have criticism that's true i'm not very good at unmuting myself <laughs> no I, this is a this is praise i was going to say that you know we often talk about the electric grid as being the biggest machine humanity has ever created and i appreciate the hardcore engineer approach to saying this big machine is like this other machine as an analogy yep i'm a mechanical engineer uh i'm gonna so that's strengthen. how i understand the world i'm gonna strengthen Go ahead, you. i'm gonna strengthen yours a little bit paul um so why the policy being the integral uh function makes a lot of sense um because of the constant of integration there's always that unknown piece that you really don't know. Um, and with, for me, with policy, there are so many unintended consequences that because you, you don't know how things are, how policy really is going to um, play out in real life. Um, there are too many cases of perverse incentives and the COBRA effect in policy. And so uh, that's just really well done, Paul. That one stu stuck out to me. Mechanical engineer. But integral response is really, really important when you have a system that is very responsive to proportional response. So it's really important. It just has to be tuned effectively. It has to be aware like, of the system it's managing. And like every controller. What about, what about, so what about short term? I'd be interested in your view on this because I kind of think of this sort of long term policy and, you know, good market design. And you think of that as being led by, you know, the right institutions and a good governance process. And then there's sort of short-term policy and almost, dare I say, political responses to, to impacts on the system. Something happens, high prices, politicians or politics gets involved, all of a sudden it's a quick decision. We've got to you know, cap the price or, or something. Where would you see that fitting in, in terms that, of a controller? That, so that to me is you just adjusted your integral constant really really fast change to your integral constant will probably have some sort of uh, offset response, right? You're probably going to end up with some bigger offset to your desired result because you just changed your integral constant um, in, in like a un, unresearched way. Um, so, so you're probably going to end up with some like, you're probably going to end up with some overshoot and some offset um, mm. based on those like fast responses, which I think 
Hmm. It's kind of what you see, right? When you have, when you have really, uh, when you change policy uh, in response to some proportional, like if you're proportional and uh, constant, it has given you a bunch of overshoot and you change your policy, you, you end up like probably not a well-tuned controller. You have something with probably, frankly, offset in the opposite direction of where you had overshoot. So you're probably going to depress prices if you had are responding to a really high market signal that you didn't want. You're probably going to end up depressing prices, maybe unfairly, maybe uh, not ideally. And there's terms of art for that that y'all have told me and I have forgotten. But that's enough on my analogy, unless you want to go any further. I think we need a second analogy from Amaz. All right. So this one's going to be really quick. And it's inspired by a, a joke of my college buddy of mine told me we're in the lab tinkering with some circuit one time. And he goes, you know what, Almaz, electricity is a myth. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, it's, it's, it, devices actually run on smoke. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, so when you have a device, you hear a little pop and the smoke comes out, it doesn't work anymore. So it actually runs on smoke. And I was like, oh my God. Okay, so I'm going to make an analogy about how the grid is like air, right? So he was saying that, 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 that smoke. Uh, and over time, I'll come up with more examples of how it's like air. But for now, I have four. So the first one um, is in terms of the, the 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 characteristic of reliability. So you don't know you need air until you don't have it, right? Same with electricity. You take it for for granted. Then there's that safety and green aspect. So um, it can be healthy if it's not clean. Must strike electricity, and if it's not clean, it can be dangerous and unhealthy. Same with air. Um, and then there's this cost value. Um, they're both kind of priceless. You really, nobody pays um, the true value of electricity. It is far more valuable to society than what we actually pay in our electricity bill. And yeah, the same with clean air. And of course, the, the mm. last one is that invisible kind of force, right? So you don't see it, but you know it's there. But if you do see it, you know something is very, very wrong. <laughs> okay, Farhad, what's your second? All right. Um, so I was struggling for uh, for inspiration on this one, but um, I, I just came back from a, a week in in India, and uh, even though I didn't visit Mumbai, uh, I I jumped on this one uh, as being an analogy for the system was the uh, Mumbai Dabawala Dabawala system uh, or Dabawala network, and, and for those folks who may not know of it. It's essentially a way of uh, getting home-cooked hot meals uh, from, you know, from from the home kitchen over to to you sitting in 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 the office. And so someone would you know be cooking the meal in the morning, the dabbawala would come and collect it and and then deliver it to, uh, to to you sitting sitting in the office. And one of the most amazing things when you actually when I, I looked at this was um, this was some actually started. In the the late uh, uh, 1800s, or I think early early 1900s, so it was way before email, GPS, any sort of communication system. And you're talking about a city of you know and and, and you know multi multi million um, people in many many millions of people in in Mumbai, but getting it from from source to from from um, source to destination in in a very tight front framework. 
um, and and the reliability of the system is 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 huge. And and you know, there's there's sort of been a few studies. I think HBR did a, a review of this, the organizational network of the Dabawala system, and it was quite um, quite a really interesting analogy there. But for me, as it, as it relates to the electricity system, it's it's you know the criticality is all about transporting from source to destination or the transmission of the commodity or your lunch from from um, from where it's cooked to where it's uh, where it's going to be consumed, and so ultimately it's it's all about transmission, which is why I I wanted to jump on this one, and the complexity of the networks is amazing and just. It, it's almost when you look at it at a high level, it's almost impossible to think how it all gets there on time and and um, and delivered so well and so so reliably. But it just works, and that was one of the things when you actually think about the electricity system at a macro level. You know, it is just amazing. Even even our early earliest forms of electricity systems, it's just an amazing feat of engineering um, to to see to actually see how it all works just given the complexity of having to balance it um, across seconds and intervals um, that that was what just amazed me with this and and amazes me with the the double wala system as well so uh that was that was where i went with this one being unfamiliar with it is it something like a meshed overlapping system or are is this like centrally planned and coordinated uh networks Network. So there is my understanding is that there is a union of Dabawalas and then but the individual sourcing it 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 uh it's it's not I'm not too aware of how it all works, but but apparently the same same person will probably pick it up every day and deliver it. Um so there's there's sort of this um hmm. there are multiple, you know, you, you kind of run your own little business. So there's multiple carriers um and they will transport your box from one place. They might only do one leg of it and they'll sort of, you know, and and, and one of the interesting things I thought with this one was the so I think the way it works is kind of all in the color coding. So you as soon as okay. you get you give you a little lunch box uh, or your tiffin and you get a little color code. And or multiple color codes, and so that then designates how it gets delivered into the system. Um, but I thought that was something that the electricity system would actually love to have. If we could color tag electrons, whether they're green or brown, or in the case of hydrogen turquoise, uh, you know, that would be an amazing feat if we could do that. Um, but maybe a little bit Wouldn't harder that- for the electricity. There's your system. national rec or clean forward <laughs> energy market right there. Absolutely. That's right. Conley, what's your what's your second? Oh, if I can one comment for Farhads, because I think this is this is a good one and it fits really well with the saying that the power system works in practice, not in theory. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't it. heard that one, but nice. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Okay, take it away with your second. Okay. So my second metaphor here. I think we've had some great metaphors, but they think, you know, they've been missing a little bit of goofiness. So I'm going to throw one out there. And that is the electricity sector is like a game of Twister at a children's birthday party. In Twister, you have to use quick judgments to plan your next move. They're not usually very careful analysis, thought about multiple steps in advance. And in the same way, the electricity sector is full of heuristics. It's full of engineering judgments that are not based on a careful cost-benefit analysis or economic efficiency. So, for instance, the one-day-in-10 reliability standard. 
Where does this come from? Well, it's an engineering heuristic, but it's not necessarily related to how we really value load. The -hmm. same is true for how we calculate reserve requirements. We really want that to be connected back to how people actually value that load being served. Another way in which the electricity sector is like Twister is that not everyone is equally enthusiastic to play. So in the electricity sector, we typically right now assume that demand is by and large inelastic. But in reality, demand does have a lot of untapped elasticity. In Twister, some people may not actually want to play, but there's social pressure to not express this. While other people might be super enthusiastic, but everyone has to take the same turns under the same conditions. And in the electricity sector, we currently act like that's how demand has to be. But in reality, we could do a lot more to create a system with price responsive demand where we really reflect the underlying utility to consumers of power at that time. And just like a game of Twister at a kid's birthday party, uh, success is everybody walks away and it's fine. And failure is when there are kids crying and screaming at the end of the day, right? That's Yes, that's the, the cascading outage is when all of the children tumble just, together. Yep, just crying. <laughs> Tears. Tears. Oh, yeah, it's great. Great. Any, uh, any additions there, Farhad? Have, you, have your kids participated in a game of Twister at a birthday party yet? We haven't had, I, I remember playing it as a kid, but uh, we haven't had that chance. But uh, there's there's also this like degree of randomness, whether you get, you know, you get the next step of being close or just is a totally impossible move, which is almost like, yeah, and then the whole system sort of crumbles into, falls down and, and yeah, we're, mm-hmm. all, we're all crying. It's is a there stochastic an system. <laughs> It's a sequential decision problem, right? Like you, you have to plan for your next move. Oh, decision making under like, uncertainty at its best. That's right. Professor Maze is going to be smiling at that response. That's, that's right. <laughs> Anything else, Amaz? Are we ready for my I, last one? I, I, I love these. Let's okay. Okay. My last one. I'd so Conley went silly. Mine is like super esoteric. So it'll be fun. Uh, so I was a mechanical engineering uh, student and a philosophy student in college. And so the first one was related to my time as a mechanical engineering student. The second is related to my time as a philosophy major. So I think the various ways of understanding the electric sector are like moral theories our ways of knowing right action can change the action taken, just like our ways of understanding the grid can change the solutions that get deployed during disruptions. So in this analogy, I think Alistair McIntyre's A Short History of Ethic, a book I used to religiously read every year until I had kids, and I haven't read it and probably, I've read it once since I've had children, but every I used to read it every year. Uh, so it's A Short History of Ethics. And I think it is like, at term power traders pinned tweet quote the politics of the grid the economics of the grid and the engineering of the grid are three circles with very 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 little overlap i think they are both these both these works are great ways of understanding the electric sector but they're both views also uh of right action overlaid on history texts and the, the ways of working I think there are a bunch of other ways, and just like there are a bunch of other like moral theories about right action, there are also just a bunch of other ways of understanding the electric sector. And my goal, my plan throughout the course of season six is to reread Alistair McIntyre's A Short History of Ethics so that I can bring together the different ways of understanding 
our electric system with different moral theories uh, to help bridge the gap of like, what are what is right action and how does the way we understand right action actually change behavior and change our deployed outcomes? I did a little bit digging deeper into like the different ways of understanding. And I, I, I will, I'll tease out some areas, ways of understanding that I think change the way you act are also like understanding the electric system through history, like how it, how it formed as a way of understanding it. The people of the electric system is another way of understanding the electric system. I actually, I have another analogy around uh, how to understand the electric system in the in terms of like the leaders of the electric system through time. I actually think it's a really useful way to understand our electric system. And just like uh, Doctor Who, does anybody did anybody watch uh, Doctor Who? It's like they have a different actor that plays the character in every season. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a regular watcher, so I didn't feel You're like not I could a Whovian. Make it. I'm not a Whovian, um, so I didn't think I would be the right one to make that analogy. But I think there's a really good analogy there around like Bonneville administrators. You can actually understand the electric system in terms of who the Bonneville administrator is. Um, you can actually understand a lot of ways the electric system in terms of like uh, the policies that like the, the governmental policies that got enacted through time. And in a lot of ways, restructuring electric markets is like an outcome of the people who uh, were of the time. Um, it's a good way to understand it. Um, I, so I'm this is revealing a lot about myself. I am probably, I follow Alistair McIntyre. He's probably the one who defines my moral theory the most. Um, and he's a virtue theorist and the, in the style of Aristotle. And I actually think there's a lot of analogy there to like uh, Aristotelian ethics to reliable electric service, the electric service as your way of understanding the electric, the energy system, um, which is distinct from like financial, understanding the electric system to its financial risk or financial bankification of utilities or uh, the engineering approach, like understanding it just as an electric system, um, just as its physics um, is, is a way of understanding it, but not like it's, it's, it's one lens. Um, and just like at term power trader said, like these are three different ways of understanding the system with very little overlap. Um, and that I think is a, is a good proxy for our good friend, Alistair McIntyre. And that is my second and final analogy. Any comments? I look forward to hearing some details uh, as this season progresses. Although I think I might be getting some flashbacks to the high school debate and everything comes down to deontological versus utilitarian ethical frameworks. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Do you agree that the basis of planning should be least cost planning? So thinking about, because you're right, the way we think about the grid influences the way we act, right? And if you have, if you take a least cost, uh, least risk approach, you end up with a fossil fuel economy. So I'm just maybe that's what I'll say. Up until now, that's how we've let we we what that's what it's resulted in. So do you do you agree with least cost being the basis of planning, or do you feel there should be a different way of thinking about the grid? You don't have to answer that, but I'm, Amaz, you yeah. know, you know my. I'm a utility maximalist right here. I okay. am. A, let's take a, what is the way to maximize utility for society? That's the planning approach I endorse. Let's. All right. 
think that's which isn't just least what cost about vulnerable consumers, right? I think that I think but utility maximization is actually the the framework that best serves vulnerable communities. Um, that's my yeah. I don't know. As no, long as you can include it in the social welfare function, right? It's possible, right. but maybe it's that's not right. done. And maybe we can talk more about the the pool. What's the common pool approach and how I because I, I am not I'm an enthusiast to learn more. Uh, but I'm curious how that understanding of the electric system as a way of understanding could influence what you what we view as right action for the, our electric system. I love, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Very yeah. deep. Next time we'll we'll so I have a, a story that I love to tell, and I don't know if I ever told it on the on this podcast before, um, um, where I compare least cost planning and um, planning for justice, uh, using as an analogy, an essay written by Jonathan Swift in the 1700s. Um, but we'll save that for another day. We'll save I that love for it. another day. <laughs> I love it. This is okay, a very well-rounded cohort. You've got your <laughs> intense engineering metaphors. You've got your Aristotelian ethics spanning the, the human experience there. That's right. And I think that's what's going to make season six so fun because we have a lot of diverse perspectives. It's going to be great. And a reminder to all of our friends, what we want is a luminary of the energy system to come judge these analogies and the analogies we make along the way. And my ambition, my greatest hope for the season is we could get a venue and some sponsors for the season finale so we can convince Farhad and Conley to come join us in somewhere. Maybe we'll join them. Uh, we can, and we can all get together with some energy industry luminary and have a fun and infotaining discussion of energy analogies to close out the season. To do that, we need a good luminary and we need some sponsors and we need a venue. But that's my ambition. It's going to be so much fun. In the next episode, we'll have a discussion with the Bonneville Power Administration CEO and Administrator John Hairston. We'll get his perspective on administering one of the four federal power marketing administrations and ask him to rank our analogies. But before we close out, I just want to make sure to just state my appreciation for all of you. Amaz, do you feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated? Every single day. Thank you, Paul. Good. Farhad, was this fun? Do you want to do it again? Is this what yeah, you're expecting? Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> Conley, do you feel seen and heard and valued and appreciated? Because I do value and appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. <laughs> To our listeners, while you aren't seen or heard, you are valued and appreciated. Roll on, enthusiasts. Roll on. We started in hard times to bring us all in. Into the laughter through thick and through thin. For public power enthusiasts without and within. Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Public Power Underground is a production of News Data and Seattle City Light. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data's weekly podcast or weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Seattle City Light, Tacoma Power, S&P Global, News Data, or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Today's episode was written and produced by Paul Dockery, Amaz Nagesh, Conley Byers, and Farhad Bilimoria, and it's edited and published by the Stellar Team of Pioneer Utility Resources with sound mixing by Lucas Smith and video editing by Brendan Delzer. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. 
You can find Public Power Underground on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please share with electric utility enthusiasts like us and give us a rating or review on your app of choice if you enjoyed the content. It helps other energy enthusiasts like us find us. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.